start the recording uh, for the message. So from now is this message is recorded. Everything prior to this was not recorded, will not be available, um, you know, on the um, on the uh, broadcast later on. All that prior to that was just for the web family. So if you're watching this right now for the very first time, maybe you're watching our recording. We do uh, Sunday live streams and uh, we've just started with that. We are just in the phase of just sorting out all the technical things and um, it might, might be a little bit jittery here and there, dropping frames here and there, just setting up everything still. Uh, but we've got like a web family starting to come together and uh, people watching live. So uh, if you hear this later on this week, um, this is just a recording of our, our web fellowship. Uh, today I want to talk uh, about two things. Number one, I want to touch on how do we handle, um, you know, a, a wrong doctrine. How do we handle the wrong doctrine? Uh, you know, in, in my years in church, I have seen uh, what I call the, you know, like the, the, or let me put it this way, I've seen the church like in a pendulum, you know, or it's like a pendulum where you find people in the law and then you, people get, think that's too much and then they put an emphasis on grace and then people go over to the grace message or actually to forgiveness or some kind of a grace message and then it, people are too scared that's going to be a license to sin or whatever and then we get a focus again towards um, works and all those kind of things and it's like a pendulum you know where uh, you know you just find this whole thing uh, swinging from the one side to the other side in such a way it just keeps what, keeps what I call the fear clock ticking. Uh, you know we are not supposed to live in fear we are not people that are supposed to um, have fear and, and have a life born from fear. And what I'm seeing and what, what is happening, uh, you know, in the world, and if we look at the social media, we find uh, almost like a witch's hunt, you know, where we are so scared of wrong doctrine. We are so scared of, you know, um, you know what about this person? Is he preaching the right gospel? Is that person preaching the right gospel to the point that we are actually living in fear again. Now I do believe that we need to watch out for uh, what we believe and uh, we should not just believe anything. Guard your heart above all things but that guarding should have value at the foundation of it. In other words let me protect what is valuable. I love what is valuable. It m should never be from the foundation of fear. Uh, you know, you can have an alarm system at your house uh, and the whole foundation from where you have that alarm system is, let me protect what is valuable, or you can be afraid of thieves. Now the one person would live in peace because he knows he's protecting what is valuable and the other one will live in fear. And I just think that, uh, you know, we are um, getting to the place where the pendulum wants to swing back, you know, and it will swing all over to the law side again, like it has shown, or, you know, like history has proven, uh, you know, and I see this, the, the swinging of the pendulum because now it's all about works again, and you, you must watch out for the, for the universalist, you must watch out for this, you must watch out for that, and the whole um, emphasis is to be against something, especially uh, universalism. Now, you know, I am not a, a universalist, I don't believe in universalism, uh, but I do believe that 
we should not be afraid of you know, uh, a universalist. Maybe I meet with a universalist or maybe a universalist said something and uh, which I might have liked and now it is completely from the devil. You know, if a law person says something I like, you know, then I'll say I like that. Uh, because we, we function from a place where we are secure in what Christ has given us. So that's the first part of this message. I want to just say to you that don't live in fear. Don't be on a witch hunt where you become a grace police. We want to police everybody's doctrine. You know, where is he? Is he now uh, a legalist that also believes in, um, you know, traditional end times teaching? Is he a preterist? Is he a, a Trinitarian? Is he a universalist? Is he a this? Is he a that? Is he... And just, you know, you're going to just, that way you lose all your peace. You don't live the kind of life that God intended for us. The most stable place you can ever have as pertaining to doctrine is the place where you are knowledgeable about what the good news is, where you know the truth. So our study of what is wrong is not what makes us secure. Our intimate relationship with a loving God, knowing who He is, is what makes me secure. Uh, you know, if somebody comes to my son and he says to my son, you know, your dad was, um, you know, caught drinking at the bar and he's now, a, you know, he's a drunkard and, you know, he's gambling and all those kind of things. He will, without having to have made a study on what gambling is or what drunkenness is or what's going on in a bar, he would tell you that is not my father. That is simply not my father. Or if you would go and tell him, um, and I'm sure you guys will uh, know what I'm talking about here, is uh, if you go and say, Matthew Brits is preaching tithing and that you must tithe to his ministry to get a breakthrough, you know, for 2014, you will say, well, I don't know where you've heard that, but that is not Matthew Brits. So in the very same way, as we get established in truth, we are in a safe place. We don't have to have knowledge of all the wrong. We just need to have knowledge of the truth. I think that is the best. Obviously, we find the Apostle Paul uh, warning uh, here and there, but his life was not uh, being a, a grace police or a freedom police. He was just declaring the freedom of people because he knew what was in their life. So take that advice. Let us not live in fear because the moment you live in fear you know the bible says he who fears is in you know is in torment and in torture and is is enslaved again to i would say to the law because the law somehow brings forth fear all the time brings forth distance all the time and you live by fear and jesus came to take away all fear perfect love cast out all fear amen so let us not um judge people all the time, but let us just enjoy Christ for who He really is. Now, let us get into Ephesians. Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. We are busy with Ephesians chapter 1. And, you know, this week I just studied even more into Ephesians. I didn't have a lot of time, although I did put some, <clears throat> I would say, three or four hours of study into Ephesians here. And I translated the first chapter and the second chapter verse by verse. I think those of you that don't know, you can go to my Dynamic, uh, Dynamic Love Ministries Facebook page 
and find the whole translation check. Just go through my post, you will find one there where I've got the whole first chapter. I didn't do a spell check or anything on it, I just you know, put it on the web, just wanted you guys to get that. I've also finished, um, I think I've got two verses left in, uh, in the second chapter and in this week I'll make that available for you as well. Just so you can get an understanding of what is going on in Ephesians. Now, this is what I discovered this week about Ephesians. Ephesians wasn't written by the Apostle Paul for the purpose of correcting wrong doctrine. Uh, you know, it's, I just went and read on the web on some people and gave their comments on the book of Ephesians, and that is what they say. Now, obviously, there will be people that say he's correcting doctrine here or there, but mostly it is that he wasn't correcting any doctrine. He was just explaining what the gospel really is. That's what makes Ephesians such a wonderful chapter. We get the first three, four chapters really explaining the love of God and what the gospel really is. And then in the last chapters, he goes into practical application in everyday life uh, and just giving some good advice. So when we study the book of Ephesians, we can just see how Paul just comes and he explains the gospel to these people. Now, in my study, I found that the people in Ephesus must have had a wonderful encounter with God to the point that this gospel of grace was just bringing forth so much fruit in their life. And I can see that the Apostle Paul, uh, through teaching them what actually happened, also protects them. As what I've said in the first part of this message, where, you know, if I know why I bear fruit, it will be very difficult for somebody um, to come to me and tell me, you know, if you do the good, then God will bless you. If I know the good that I bear is because of Christ in me, and I've come to the revelation that the good that I have today is not on account of my own ability or my good will's decision, it's not because it just comes naturally for me, it's because Christ lives in me. If I know that, it will be difficult for somebody to come and convince me and say to me, you know, this good you do there was because you've made the right decision, and now because you do this good, now God's going to bless you. You will just say, no, you know, anything contrary to the truth, you will just say, this can't be the truth. So when Paul comes in Ephesians 1, he comes and he explains to the people what has happened, what God originally planned, explained the fall of man, just in short. We can see that in verse 7 there. And then he explains on what Christ has done to restore everything and then how the original plan is now actually revealed in Christ, which we never knew. You know, in the Old Testament, um, they never knew what the original plan really was. Uh, the Old Testament people didn't know that the original plan was that God would have man co-seated with him in the Trinity, wherein he wanted to give immortality unto man and where man would rule uh, uh, rule and reign, uh, or let me put it this way, where Christ's life will an be animated in man and be so much in man that the whole planet will, be, will explode into the very glory of God and that we from there will be co-owners of the love of God, co-owners of uh, peace, co-owners of kindness, co-owners of, um, you know, just so many things that are peaceful. Um, they never knew that. But in Christ, the Apostle Paul comes and he says, you know what, the original plan that was from the beginning was now revealed to us. And then he comes and he says this, when we believed this, we found 
all this fruit in us. And then he establishes, um, you know, the, the Ephesians' mind, the people in Ephesus' mind, in, listen, this fruit that manifests in you is not an account of you being a Gentile or that you maybe are doing some good things or uh, tapped a little bit into the Jude Judaism in the sense of you've received the Messiah that was actually prophesied by the Jews. It's not because of a Jew thing. It's not because of a Gentile thing. It's got everything to do with Christ bringing forth fruit in us. Now, let me just say this. Many times when we see something good in our life, we think, you know, this is just natural. It's, it's just, I'm a friendly person because it just comes natural to me in this area of my life. Or, I'm just generous. It just comes natural. It, it is not the truth. The truth is, it's Christ living in you. If your foundation is the law, then yes, I can say it can be willpower. But since we've tapped into the message of grace, let us not be tempted by the enemy again to think, this is on account of our own ability and our own works and our own flesh. It is only on account of Christ in you bringing forth the hope of glory. So there was a hope of glory the Bible talks, talks about and in Ephesians here. And we're going to read some verses now. And that hope that we have as a Christian is the fruit of the Spirit, number one. Number two, that hope of that glory is an immortal life wherein we inherit His quality of life forever in our flesh. And our flesh actually is changed to the point that it will never ever have the ability to sin again. That is what Christ has brought for us. And He is the one that brings it forth. So, um, know this. When there's something good in your life, say, oh, I'm seeing Christ living in me. Isn't that awesome? So if I sit here today and there's a passion in my heart to share this message, I don't say, you know, Bertie Brits is just somebody that's passionate about the gospel. I say the passionate Christ that's passionate for people all over the world is living in me and I am co-sharing in his life. This is part of my inheritance and I'm making use of this inheritance. And the fact that I can live this and have this in my life today is part of Christ's inheritance. I've inherited his life and what he has inherited was to also co-live in me. And so we share into one another's lives. Isn't that awesome? That is absolute good news. So right, let us read Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 from verse um, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. So here he says that God has come and he has redeemed us through his blood. He has forgiven us from the power of sin. Oh my goodness, it seems my computer went offline here. Oh, I just it was just a screensaver. I thought I went offline. Sorry about that. Um, I, don't, I don't want that. I need to change that screensaver. Okay, so um, sorry about that. So what happens here and what he says here is that he has set us free from our sins. He has given us life. The whole thing that Paul tries to explain the first part here is about the fall. Now let me explain it this way. Many times we've got a difficulty to understand the Holy Spirit. There we see that 
what I read about the communion there that Jesus blew upon them said receive the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain to you how I see the Holy Spirit. Now I think it's very difficult to explain who the Spirit of God is, but this is how I see the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Pharisees that sits in Moses' seat. Now when they sit in Moses' seat, they sit um, in the authority of the law, in the logic of the law, in the, um, in the, the knowledge of the law. That is what they sit in. That is where they function. That is how they operate. That's what they do. They sit in the law. In the very same way, in heaven, I believe this is how it works. We get the Father and the Son. And both of them are seated in the seat of the Spirit. So if you would imagine two people sitting on a bench, that bench would be the Holy Spirit. And then both of them would be seated um, in the Holy Spirit. Now the word Spirit, and please hear me out here, I'm not trying to take away the Holy Spirit as a person. But as we explain different aspects of the Greek word of the word spirit, we will understand more about who he really is. Um, and we'll understand more of Ephesians here when it talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit after we have believed. Um, what we need to realize is that the, the Holy Spirit, as, a, as, the, as the person wherein God seats, is basically the basic principle whereby God function, the personality of God, the wisdom wherein God function. One of the um, aspects of the wisdom of God is the concept of knowledge, persuasion, and manifestation. What that means is, between the Father and the Son, when they are in the same spirit, it's the spirit of I am, not I'll become. And the Father knows who He is, the Son knows who He is. They share knowledge with each other, and because they are of the same spirit, the same quality of life is in each other, and they shape each other's lives. And so, everything is created by that spirit of faith. That's, the spirit of faith means the spirit wherein we function from a knowledge and a persuasion, and from that persuasion, it flows over to our hearts and our minds, and even into our words, and from there things get created. In the very same way, you know, He has made us to function like that. So, when imagine now this bench. Father and Son sits on the bench. And then they say, why don't we get someone else to also sit on this bench of I am, and not I'll become. And then they create Adam and make him also sit on the very same bench. And from there they have fellowship and influence on each other. Now, Imagine Adam then goes and pulls closer a chair of his own, which is the chair of Moses or the chair of I will become. And he goes and sits in that chair. The only way in which Christ or the only way in which God would get him back is to remove that chair and offer him then a seat again with him on the original bench, the bench of God, which is the Spirit of God. So that man can now be seated in, I am and not I will become. So that's what Romans, uh, 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 Ephesians 1, 7 there says. He says, through his blood we have forgiveness of sins. So when we were seated in the other chair, 
what happened there was in that chair we were chained to the chair we couldn't get rid of the chair but Jesus Christ came cut the chain that bound us to the law having its fruit in sin and destruction and death cut us loose and now declares our freedom from that and declares that his knowledge and his wisdom and his spirit now belongs to every man those who believe that they are innocent those that believe that their sins are forgiven those that hear the message that they are that God is at peace with them and gives us peace and tranquility and equality with him those who believe it they receive the basic principle or the life that's alive in God they receive the Holy Spirit and when they receive the spirit wherein God functions which is the spirit of Christ which is the atmosphere that was made available through what Jesus Christ has done when they receive that by believing it as the only truth you know the deepest part of a being is what he believes so when we believe that it becomes the very core of our being it becomes the spirit from where we have life um, and from there we find the fruit of the spirit manifesting in in us so as we believe this and we see the fruit of the spirit manifesting in us that is the seal of our salvation that is the proof that we have now entered in to the salvation that God has given unto us amen and this is what he is actually saying and, and let's read on and see that it says here um, wherein he has abounded to us in all wisdom and prudence having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself this is the mystery of his will you know many times we think what is what is God's will you know it is just a it's just a mystery now this is the mystery of his will that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together all uh, in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him okay in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will so what he says here listen this is the plan of God he wanted to take away the sin of all people why because he wanted to make what is in heaven true on earth so the only way in which he could make true on earth what is in heaven is to bring the holiness of heaven to earth and he brought the holiness of heaven to earth in Christ therefore he declares that he's established his kingdom on earth now therefore he declares the kingdom of God which is the kingdom of your innocence the kingdom of the rule of God where uh, he took away the sin of man now as the truth about every man so that we can believe this word of our salvation and so be saved amen so he says here that was his plan he wanted all of earth to explode in the glory of God that's when he made the heavens and the earth that was what he started to do then you know there was a bit of a detour but the plan never changed and the plan was now revealed in Christ when we saw what he did we saw oh my goodness now we understand the plan of God God's plan is that he by his power will have you and nature explode into the very liberation liberty liberality that is possessed by the resurrected Jesus which 
is what the Father possesses. Now he says, that was his plan, and we have an inheritance in this plan. The way I translated was, it actually all starts with us. It's, it doesn't start with animals and the planet, it starts with us. We are the, the, the keeping in this, you know, of which Jesus is the foundation. So here he comes, he says, listen guys, you know, uh, God's plan was to glorify earth, and you have got an inheritance in this plan. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? And he says, this is what, what he intends, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, um, he might gather together, sorry, that's verse, verse 10, verse 11, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be, this is, this is what he purposed, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in, in whom also after you have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the down payment or the proof of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. This is His prayer now and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So what does He say here? He says, listen guys, this is how everything works. God comes. And his plan is to glorify everything. You've got an inheritance in this glory. You've, you've got an inheritance in this glory. And he predecided that, that, that it would be so, so that we who trusted in him could be to the praise of the glory of his grace in Christ. So, and then he says this, When we believed the word of the truth, the message of our salvation, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what is that? What is Paul saying there? He says that all of mankind has been saved from the law as a way unto salvation. The Gentiles has been saved from being bound now to idol worship. What way did the Gentiles have in the Old Testament whereby they could access God but idol worship? The, the, the law and all those things weren't even given unto them. So they had no access. Paul even in chapter 2 comes and he says, You were lost. You were gone far from Christ, alienated from God. So you are saved from that now. The Jews on their part are now saved from the law as a way unto life. All has been saved from the traditional method whereby they could have eternal life. And Christ has now become the truth about every man so that those who believe that will then explode into this glorious life where heaven comes to earth, where heaven consumes earth, and heaven, heaven and earth becomes one and we so live with God. So I want to tell you, my friend, you are so deeply loved and so part of the plan of God it's so difficult to get away from it. The only way you can get away from it is if you cannot accept the Spirit of God and you want to continue in the illusion of legalism 
and law. You know, this morning in church, I explained the very same message this way. In South Africa, we've got the apartheid system, or we had the apartheid system. The apartheid system was ended in um, 1994-95. It was ended. It was made obsolete. It was ended. There was no need for it. The only place where apartheid now exists legally is in history. It, there is no such a thing anymore as apartheid, neither will it ever be. It is dead and gone forevermore. It can never exist again. It is over forever. Now, should you still believe in apartheid? You are living in an illusion. You are not born from the truth. For the truth is that it is over and South Africa is now uh, a democracy. So we today in South Africa are living in a democracy. That is the truth. All people in South Africa might not be born from this truth. But that is the truth about every man. Everyone has been saved from apartheid. Yet everybody is not born from the freedom. Why? Because they are still functioning in the darkness of their minds, um, the understanding darkened, not believing the truth, and therefore they are still lost in the old system of death. In the very same way with the gospel. The gospel is that God ended, that God had a plan from the beginning to glorify you with his glory. Adam came and brought in a system wherein we were not acceptable unto God, for we were married to the law. Then he ended the law man, and we were made acceptable in the beloved to be married to him, and our works and the fruit in our life can also now become acceptable to him on account of his doing by the power of his resurrection. The only thing we do is we expect this and say to God, Amen. I believe this and from this spirit that had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, my friend, that spirit has got the power to raise you and your family and your friends and whosoever believes this truth into a powerful new life that is what he has that's what he made has made available for all of us and now let us end this off and just quickly look at this he says here in verse uh, verse 15 wherefore i also after i heard of your faith in the lord jesus and your love unto all the saints cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so he says here since i heard of your prayers since i heard of all the good that is in your life this is my prayer for you my prayer is that you may have wisdom and knowledge in the knowledge of God in every area of your life so that you will have this reality not just concerning going to heaven one day but concerning everything in your life that's what his prayer is here that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling listen to these uh, three things 
Paul wants people to know the hope of his calling. So I want you to know today the hope of your calling. We have been called unto glorification. We have been called unto immortality. We have been called unto friendship with God. We are already experiencing the first fruit of the Spirit. But there is still a hope for us. What is the hope? To see Christ every day, continually, free from our effort, on account of the power of the resurrection, raise, raise himself up in our thoughts, in our life, and in everything we do by his power. So this is what he says here, the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know what is the abundance and how rich his glory, his view and opinion is, you know, of what he inherited in us. God inherited something in us, and we inherited something in God. So what he says is he wants us to know what is the riches of the glory of what Christ inherited in us and the riches of what God inherited in us in Christ. What God inherited in us is a place of expression a place of love where He can lavish His love on us. What God inherited in you, my friend, is a place of fellowship and union with Him where He can express who He is to the point that all of creation, all of the angels, all of the devils, everyone can see how wonderful, uh, what a wonderful, loving, blessed God God is by sharing his life with us and then it goes on there and what the exceeding greatness of his power to us word is who believe according to the working of his mighty power that we who believe might know how great his power is towards us so i want you to say to know this and then he, he ends it off with this he says that jesus christ is far above every power and principality and all those kind of things and, and this is what it actually means he says listen guys I want you to know the hope. You, I want you to know what you can expect from what Christ has done for you. You can expect life and life in abundance. You can expect to have joy when everything tells you you must be sad. You can expect to have a miracle. You can expect that when you don't have a miracle, you can have still Jesus as the final voice of your life, wherein you are a co-owner of the very joy of God. We don't need things to make you happy, but where you are happy and your happiness creates happiness in others on account of Him creating it. That's what He wants you to know. And He wants you to know how great this power is. My friend, you know, we've underestimated the power of believing that we are truly innocent. We've underestimated the power of believing that we are fully embraced by Him. I want, he says, I want you to know that power. That power is the very same power that raised...
thousand years ago we bled into one And when I think of it I'm drunk on your love So great is the love that you've lavished on us We are your children distance has been cancelled in Christ and separations and illusion a lie so great is the love that you've lavished on us we are your children oh God and that is what we are that is what we are we are your children That is what we are That is what we are Playing in the fields of grace Knowing this joy of a papa's embrace Here and say I Say, ah.